Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew 1, verses um, 18 through 25. That's going to be our scripture reading this morning. We'll get there in just a minute. Um, this morning, we're continuing our series we're calling A Hallmark Christmas. Um, in 2018, something like 25% of all Americans watched a Hallmark Christmas movie. Like, that's a lot. That means it's a cultural phenomenon in some sense. Um, in 2019, the Hallmark Company said that they will shatter that record, like so many more Americans will be watching Hallmark movies, which is good, I guess, for America. I don't know. Um, and it's because I think um, no matter how repetitive um, or cheesy or predictable Hallmark Christmas movies may be, they deliver the goods, right? They deliver the charm and the nostalgia and the feeling of the holidays that we want, and then they give us that romantic love story that ends exactly like we want it to every single time, because it's the same story every single time, right? We do that. So at TFRC, um, the pastors had this brilliant idea. What if we created our own um, poster of a Hallmark movie that we think Hallmark should make? And boy, am I excited for you to see the one that Beck and I came up with. We're calling this one a holiday harpooning. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a true story. It's, I'm just kidding. I'd love for someone to write up a synopsis of that plot. It's going to be good. I can tell. Um, there's been a theme in this series that we've been returning to. Um, see, what if, what if God was up to more this holiday season than we let on? Like, what if God was up to more than, than Christmas trees and parties and, and family and candy and presents and, and all of that stuff? Like, like, what if God was actually doing something unique in our lives this Christmas season, like way better than any Hallmark movie, right? Like, what if God was actually on the move this season in our lives? You know, like the obvious answer for most of us is, well, yeah, like, of course, we believe that God is on the move. We believe that God's up to something unique. We believe all those things about this season and any other season. But, but the question is, how in the world do you go about finding that? Like, how do you find what God may be up to? If God's up to something this Christmas season, like, what might that look like if it doesn't look like a Hallmark Christmas movie? And so that's what we're getting at in this um, series. Our scripture reading, like I said earlier, is Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Um, I'm going to invite Jay Gomer up. He's going to read for us this morning. Thank you, Jay. Um, and what we do here, church... We're, we cheer for Jay first, apparently, which is good. Thank you. Good. Um, and then what we do, if you're able to, is we stand, and then we face the center of the room um, for the reading of God's Word. And the reason we do this, church, week after week, year after year, is a reminder, and we need the reminder that this is the true story of our lives. It's the story of Jesus. So go ahead, Jay, when you're ready. John, that is the most enthusiastic introduction I've had from this one. Thank you, Kira. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, 
and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Thanks, Jay. You may all take a seat. And I would just go ahead and just keep your Bible open there. We will be revisiting that passage a bit this morning. Um, So when I was a kid, I loved Christmas. Um, And I wish it was for like all of the like Jesus being born stuff. But just if I was honest, that's really not what it was for me when I was a kid. It was the presents. Like I loved presents at Christmas. I loved Christmas morning and tearing into wrapping paper to reveal the gifts that my parents and others had gotten for me. And my parents would take them, take gifts, and then they would wrap them. And then they would place them under the tree like three or four weeks before Christmas Day. And so as a kid, you'd be walking past the tree trying to figure out what in the world are my gifts this year. And I would tell stories like, it's going to be this thing, I'm going to do this with that thing, and this is going to be awesome. And my expectations would raise through the roof. I loved that moment. Then one Christmas came, and my parents placed a a, a present for me under the tree, and they told me that they had nailed it this year. Like, this was the gift of all gifts. Of course, it was like three weeks beforehand, and so I'm pacing around the tree looking at this gift, trying to figure out what in the world could this gift be. Could it be a PlayStation? That would have been awesome for me as a kid. Could it be rollerblades? It was the early 90s, you know? Like, rollerblades were cool then. Um, And so then Christmas Day came, and I was really excited. What in the world could my parents have possibly gotten me? They hand me the gift. I slowly rip the wrapping paper away, and I get a glimpse. Oh, I think I know what this is now. And then I realize what it was. It was a trapper keeper. (laughs) A trapper keeper. And then my parents told me um, it would help me organize my schoolwork better, which was good. Expectations shattered in that moment. It was scarring. I'm getting therapy today still. It's okay. Um, So then we proceeded and we opened all the other gifts. And then there was a moment my dad said, hey, can you help me get something out of the garage? We walked into the garage and there in the garage was a black and lightning yellow mongoose BMX bike with pegs on the wheels for me for Christmas. And there, my expectations were so low that that was like the most amazing gift I had ever received in my life. Expectations affect experience, right? It's true for all of us. The expectations that we place upon our lives, situations in our lives, seasons, moments, have the power to radically shape our experience of life. 
Um, a perfect example is Christmas, right? You have, you have Christmas dinner. It's the Christmas family party. And when you walk into that party, you have some expectations of what that Christmas party might be like. If it's like my family, it could get interesting really quickly, right? And you have expectations of that. There could be some fighting. There could be some, you know, like at each other's throat stuff. There could be the silent treatment. It could get really uncomfortable at that Christmas party. And if you walk into it expecting the Christmas party to go that way, it will affect the Christmas party and your experience of that Christmas party. Our expectations matter. In, in fact, they're, they're a powerful thing for us. Um, expectations, they shape our experience. They do. Now, our scripture reading this morning is a familiar one to most of us. It's the story of Mary, who suddenly found out that she was expecting a child. Mary, who had maintained her virginity. Mary, who was engaged to be married, was pregnant. And what's interesting about this Matthew passage is that in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew decides to place the spotlight on someone else. He does so on Joseph, Mary's fiancé. You see, our scripture reading is really about Joseph's expectations for his life, certainly in this experience with Mary getting pregnant. And what was it about Joseph? Like, what expectations did Joseph have for his life? In some sense, he probably expected all the things that we do out of our lives. Um, Joseph expected to hold down a job and that would pay the bills, that would make sure there's food on the table. Joseph expected to be married probably to a good Jewish woman who loved the Lord with all her heart and soul and mind, right? Like all those things. And Joseph expected to probably have kids and to build a big family as big as he possibly could do. Joseph expected probably a fairly normal life, a life that we would, you know, resonate with on some level. And there were these bigger expectations that Joseph had. Joseph was a good Jewish man and expected what all the other good Jewish men and people did. Joseph expected that the Messiah was coming. And the Messiah was coming soon. And the Messiah would come and he would be strong. He would be a leader and he'd be a military tactician. He would be a general, a freedom fighter in a sense. He expected that the Messiah would come, raise up Israel, and bring back the nation of Israel once and for all. And it would be the new powerhouse of the day. They'd kick out the Romans. That's what the Messiah's role was. That's what Joseph expected in his faith. And then we get to our scripture reading, Matthew 1.18. And in a couple of words, all of Joseph's expectations are overturned. Can you imagine being Joseph, right? You're, like you're standing in the house or something, and then Mary walks in, and she says, have I got news for you? <laughs> I'm pregnant. Like, can you imagine being Joseph in that moment? Like, you're, what? You know? Like, that's a really confusing place to be. And here's the deal. Mary's pregnancy shattered Joseph's expectations for his life, and for his faith. See, Joseph never again would be able to live that regular Jewish family man life. It was over at that moment. He would always be known as the man that married the pregnant virgin. 
People would always have suspicions of Joseph and Mary. They would say things like, that's impossible, as they walked past. Like, yeah, that's that couple. We don't know what to think about them. And it wasn't just Joseph's personal expectations for his life. It was bigger than that. It was his faith as well. You see, at the time of Joseph, the Jews never expected that the Messiah would come from a virgin. That wasn't part of the plan. That's not what they had laid out in the diagrams. There was not a virgin. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take a look at Matthew 1.20. You can kind of see some of this unfolds. Matthew 1.20 starts and says this. It says, But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And it's those last two verses there. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. It's a direct quote from the Old Testament. In fact, it's from um, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. But there's something interesting about it. See, what's interesting is that the prophecy that Isaiah gave really wasn't originally intended to talk about the Messiah. Like, that's not really, I don't think, what Isaiah was thinking. And in context, it doesn't even quite make very much sense. The prophecy in Isaiah was referring to a very specific situation that was happening with God's people at a specific time. I mean, Isaiah, it should pop up on the screen. Let me just read a little chunk here. It says, Therefore... The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. The Jews were not expecting a virgin birth in this story for the Messiah. They were expecting something different from that. And yet this is exactly what God chose to do anyway. So we're going to reinterpret this verse and we're going to make it mean something that you never imagined it would mean. It was completely unexpected for the Jewish people in its day. But isn't that how God works? In the unexpected of our lives. God does the majority of his work in our lives, at least I think, this has been my experience, through the unexpected moments of life, right? I mean, if you follow Jesus, you say, I believe in Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, right? Think of those moments where you felt like God was really up to something big in your life, those transformative moments in your life. Was it when you were you know, driving to work and driving home every day for six months and it was really normal and regular and it just was what it was. Is that when you experience that? Most of the time it's not. It's when things don't go as planned. It's when it's unexpected that God seems to show up. You know, it's when our parents become ill or suddenly pass away that God shows up. 
It's when that job opportunity that we went to school for and we trained for and we were excited for and we felt like we had the gifting for slips through our fingers and it's over. Like it's in that moment that God seems to show up. It's when our marriage hits that really rocky road, right? Or, or perhaps it just ends. It's in those moments where it seems like God shows up. It's when we have that crisis of faith and we say, I, I don't really know what to believe anymore right now. It's in those moments where it's really dark, where God seems to show up. You see, it's in the unexpected places where God often shows up. And you see, it's also in the unexpected moments in our lives when God offers us his greatest gifts, too. And many of you have experienced this. There's those moments where things don't go as planned and life gets hard or confusing or just plain unexpected where we grow as people, right? Where you feel like God's hand reaches into your chest and starts tweaking with things in that moment, right? And you walk away and you feel like you have a different heart in that moment. Or my attitude has fundamentally changed in that moment. Or, or I understand something about who I am or my worth or my weaknesses or gifts, whatever it is in that moment. Or we walk away and we say, hey, I have to go this direction in life now because of this thing in this moment. God said I have to do that. And it's a gift. And we look back and we often would never take it back. And friends, you see... God offers us his greatest gifts in the unexpected of the Christmas story, too. Because when God overturned Joseph's expectations of a regular life in a certain kind of Messiah, God gave Joseph something so much better. In fact, God gave us something so much better, too. The greatest gift in the history of the world happened in that moment. I don't know if you've ever wondered this, but like, what is it about, uh, like, like, why is it that the miraculous conception of Jesus matters? Like, why did Mary have to be a virgin and yada, yada, yada? Have you ever wondered that? Like, why is this such a big deal? Like, Christians in years past have battled over this, and they've fought over this, and they've split over this. It's a really big deal that there was a virgin birth that matters immensely to Christians. Have you ever wondered why it does, though? You see... It's because God wanted it to be made known abundantly clear that what God was doing in the pregnancy and birth of Jesus was purely a God thing. It was all God. It was not an us thing. It was not a human idea. It was a God thing. God acted uniquely in the world. It was all God. He gets all the credit in that moment. The birth of the Messiah was to be a gift from God to us, to you. And it's the greatest gift. And it wasn't what Joseph expected. It was not the strong man, conqueror Messiah that would wipe out the bad guys. People in Joseph's day longed for that. They wanted the big man to step up and take down the Romans. And it just didn't happen. And perhaps we feel the same sometimes too, right? Like, God, give us the strong guy to like defeat all the bad guys. We'd really appreciate that. But that's not what God does. God has something better in mind. And what is it? 
You see, in that moment where Mary became pregnant, God gave us the gift of himself. You see? In the miraculous conception of Jesus, God gave us a relationship with him. That's why the Isaiah prophecy matters. It says, in his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. That's relationship language. You see that, right? It's God with us, God living with us, God being in our lives. God was saying to us in the miraculous conception of Jesus, I want to do life with you and I want to prove it. And there's nothing you can do to change this reality. That's what I want for you. I want a relationship with you. And that relationship is the thing that will literally change the world. When you're with me, it will do something in this world. And the way that we're going to go about doing this is I'm going to put on flesh, and then I'm going to come down, and I'm going to live with you literally in the world. I'm never going to leave you. The Spirit will come after Jesus leaves. I want to be with you because I love you and you have value and I care for you and I want the best for you. Have you ever accepted that reality? That Jesus simply wants to be with you and live with you and love you he wants a relationship with you. Have you ever thought that before? You know, maybe this morning you're here and you're like, I don't know if I buy this. It feels a little mumbo jumbo to me. Maybe this morning God is calling out to you and saying, it's time for a relationship. Watch what happens. Let's come together and watch what happens. It will change the world. Maybe God's calling out to you right now in this room. Or maybe you're in a place where you're like, man, I used to have that relationship with God and life happened and the wheels fell off and I'm off doing something else. I don't even know why I'm here this morning. I'm, I, I'm a have-been in some sense. God says, it's okay. Come back. Come back. I love you. I want to be with you. I want a relationship with you. And it will change your life and it will change your world. It will. It will. This morning, we're going to take communion. And God offers us that greatest gift this morning, a relationship with him at the table. You see, at the table, because of the birth of Jesus and the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, God offers us this amazing, unique moment where we get to come and we get to eat with God. There is nothing more relational than eating together, and that's what God wants for you this morning, to eat with him. The Father wants to be with you this morning. It's the greatest gift. Are you willing to receive it, is the question. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that um, no matter our lives, whether we have been the good person that's made all the right choices and we've been moral and all that, you love us, or, or, or whether 
We've been the prodigal. And we've walked away from you and we've stomped on you and we've sinned against you and we've lived a, a life that really is counter to the world that you imagine. You still come near us. You still love us. You still want a relationship with us. God, as we come to the table, we ask for you to soften our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, make yourself known to us. Give us a heart that wants to be with you. And in this moment, perhaps it's only at the table today, we have a moment where we can simply be with you and love you and be loved in return. We ask for that this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let me leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen, church? Amen. Have a Merry Christmas.